Welcome back to another episode of City of Desert. My name is Father David Abernethy, and we continue now with our discussion of St. Hezekiah of Jerusalem, his writings on sobriety and prayer, taken from the volume of the Philokalia called Writings on the Prayer of the Heart. And we've been discussing uh, the nature of the art of the evil one and how it is that we engage in the battle against him. And uh, today we'll be looking in particular at the beauty of sobriety as Hezekiah describes it for us, that we might understand the fruit of the ascetical labors that we are called to, why this is of such great value to invest ourselves in such a great labor. Uh, if you remember from the last episode, uh, Hezekiah emphasized that the ascetic life involves doing and tasting and seeing, that we uh, learn through experience by tasting the, the, the virtue of sobriety, of humility, of chastity. And so today he'll be describing for us the, the beauty of sobriety, how it is that we maintain it, uh, the virtues that are essential for it, and perhaps the most difficult to win, in particular, humility. We're picking up this, this day with paragraph uh, number 50 on page 290, if you're following along in the text. Hezekiah begins by writing, How good and delightful, most sweet and bright, beautiful, fair of face and lovely a virtue is sobriety, which is led on its way by thee, O Christ, who art God, and which journeys watchfully in great humility, of the human heart. For it stretches forth its branches to the sea and to the great deep of contemplation, and its offshoots to the rivers of sweet and divine mysteries, and its waters, and it waters the mind which has for long been withered up by impiety, by the brine of wicked thoughts, and by the frenzied willfulness of the flesh, which is death. So a beautiful beginning. Uh, Hezekiah tells us that sobriety, as he has described it, offers us deep intimacy with God, a share in the virtue of God himself. It offers us the capacity for deeper and deeper contemplation, to be able to see God as he is in himself. The noose, the eye of the heart, is gradually purified, and we overcome the effects of the flesh and uh, the temptations that come to us th through the five senses. And it is in the following paragraphs that he begins now to describe for us how this sobriety and its beauty can be maintained. He continues in paragraph 51, stating, Sobriety is like the ladder of Jacob, above which God stood and by which the angels ascended. It takes all evil from us. It cuts off talkativeness, railing, slandering, and the whole catalog of sensory passions, for it cannot bear on their account to be deprived, even for a little while, of its own sweetness. So again, once one has tasted something of the sweetness of sobriety and that intimacy that it offers with God, that one is slow to let it be lost, and so it becomes ever more watchful of the things that can pull us away from it. So things like talkativeness, engaging in 
unnecessary speech that would make us lose our peace of mind and heart, railing and slandering, giving ourselves over uh, to anger in any way that would make us lose the, the virtue of humility or against, again, uh, make us lose the, the stillness that has been found within the heart through it. It continues in paragraph 52 by saying, Let us, brethren, follow after this zealously, but while we soar in purity of heart with Christ Jesus and in contemplation of him, let us keep in view also our sins and our former life, that being made contrite and humbled by the memory of our sins, we may possess and not be parted from the help of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the invisible warfare. And so we do not want to lose the memory of our past poverty and weakness and sinfulness, not in the sense that we are constantly calling to mind our past sins, but that we don't lose sight of the, our need for God's grace. The memory of our sickness uh, makes us even more grateful uh, for the healing and the purity of heart that God has created within us. He goes on to say, For as soon as we are deprived of the help of Jesus through pride, of the love of self or vainglory, we are deprived too of purity of heart, through which God lets himself be known to man. For the former is the cause as it is of the promise of the latter. Purity of heart is seeing God. And so when we let ourselves fall into the delusion that somehow we are responsible for this purity of heart, for this sobriety, uh, it is not long before we, we lose it altogether and fall once again back into the grip of our passions. Uh, we must always keep ourselves in a humble state while we are engaged in this invisible warfare. We do struggle, though, as human beings with a constant source of distraction or a constant uh, source of temptation, and that is our five senses uh, in the state of our, our fallenness. Each of our senses becomes for us a means of communion and communication with the world around us. We are in a constant state of receptivity. And so bringing a kind of order to these senses, guarding them, protecting them, leading a, a simple life, uh, allows us then to maintain this purity of heart. But to live in excess in any kind of way is to place us in, ourselves in jeopardy. And it is this that Hezekiah begins to discuss in paragraph 53. He writes, along with the other good things, which it will find from its constant exercise of watchfulness, the mind that does not neglect its own hidden work will also find that the five senses of the body no longer cooperate with the sinful temptations that come from without. And so one of the fruits of sobriety is that we become freer as human beings, that the senses that I've just mentioned no longer uh, become uh, a vehicle for sinfulness for us, that we can experience in and through them uh, what they were meant for, to lead us into a communion with God. We begin to experience Him in and through all of, all of our senses, our desires, our appetites, as the purity of heart within us becomes 
deeper and greater. He goes on to say, for in attending wholly to its own virtue, sobriety, and wishing always to rejoice in good thoughts, it does not let itself be robbed by the five senses, by which material and vain thoughts enter it. But knowing the danger of their seductiveness, it curbs them from within by a strong effort of the will. Be steadfast in attention of the mind, and you shall not be overburdened by temptations. Retreat from this and suffer what befalls. So again, a warning not to let down our guard, that it is a relentless battle for us, no matter how much we may have seemed to, seemed to have grown in virtue. Uh, the moment that we let pride enter in is also the moment that we fall. As the Proverbs tells us, pride rideth before the fall. Uh, it isn't long before we have a vain thought that we find ourselves wrapped again in one of the passions. Engaging in, the, in this struggle, as I've said, is not an easy thing, that we have a tendency to return to our sinfulness uh, very easily. And so Hezekiah, in paragraphs 55 and 56, uh, teaches us how it is that we uh, can remain firm in our virtue. And the first he tells us is simply suffering, affliction. He writes in paragraph 55, as those who've lost their appetite and taste for food are helped by bitter wormwood, so for those who have bad habits, suffering is useful. And so when we know affliction in our lives, when we know suffering in mind or body, uh, we have a tendency to call out to God more and to pray without ceasing, to ask his help. And so when we are humbled in this way, that we will give ourselves more and more over to our prayer. Uh, the same could be true in regards to our sinfulness, that God will allow us to experience something of the consequences of our sinfulness, allow us to taste the bitterness of falling from grace in order then to draw us back to him. And so in paragraph 56, he writes, If you wish not to suffer evil, then wish not to do evil. For the one follows inevitably on the other. For that which a man sows, that shall he also reap. When then we sow willingly that which is bad and reap it against our will, we ought to be filled with wonder at the justice of God. That the just, justice of God is something that also is meant to bring us healing. Uh, God in his justice allows us to experience, as I said, the full fruit of that sinfulness, the consequence of it in order that its bitterness might drive us back in, as it were, to his arms, that it might... Uh, again, help us to take up the discipline and the watchfulness that is necessary for the life of virtue. He continues in paragraph 57 by telling us that the mind is blinded by th three basic passions, love of money, vainglory, and love of pleasure. So avarice, uh, uh, pride, and also sensuality. It is these three passions that afflict us the most and can draw us into our sinfulness. Knowledge and faith, which is ours by nature, he continues, are blunted by nothing other than these three. So we lose the vision of God. Our faith is weakened. Uh, our purity of heart is lost by nothing less than these three. And so it should not be a mystery 
to us when we find our, ourselves having fallen into sin, what the source of that sinfulness is. It is one of these three passions. In 59 he writes, it is through these that wrath and anger, murders and the whole catalog of passions are greatly strengthened among men. So these three hinge uh, passions, as it were, are what the rest of the passions are built upon. When we give ourselves over to them, the others gain greater strength over us. He who does not know the truth cannot have true faith, for in the nature of things knowledge goes before faith. What was spoken in the scriptures was spoken not only that we may know it, but that we may do it. So to have this knowledge of the signs of the fathers is not some, simply so that we might hold it within our mind, that we might intellectually understand it, but that we might put it into practice. And again, this is why we would say Christianity is an ascetic religion. We are given the teachings of the gospel. We are given the teachings of the fathers in order precisely that we might put them into practice, that we might exercise them vigorously. As an athlete trains, so someone in the spiritual life must train constantly in order to be able to overcome the passions. So it is in doing that strength and understanding is gained. And so Hezekiah writes in paragraph 61, let us then start doing. For if we press forward in this way, we shall find that not only hope in God, but also firm faith and inner knowledge, redemption from temptations, the gifts of grace, heartfelt confession, and copious tears are given to the faithful through prayer. And not only these, but also endurance of the troubles that come upon us, and sincere forgiveness of our neighbor, understanding of the spiritual law, finding the righteousness of God, the visitation of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of the spiritual treasures, and all the things that God has promised to give to believers now and in the world to come. In one word, it is impossible for the soul to appear in the image of God, except through God's grace and man's faith, when a man remains in his heart in deep humility and unwavering prayer. There is a kind of synergy, then, that Hezekiah is describing here, that we are responding to the grace that God offers us to, to lead the life of holiness, to have his image perfected within us. But there has to be a, an equal response on our part uh, in the sense that we give ourselves over fully to that grace, that we fight the good fight of faith in order that we might be able to experience all the benefits that uh, Hezekiah describes in this paragraph. And so he says, let us start with the doing, that we have to begin by this constant exercise of our, our faith. And the same is true uh, with the exercise of the unceasing prayer, which is what he, he begins to discuss in paragraph 62. It is in truth a great good, as we have found from experience, that he who wishes to cleanse his heart should call constantly on the Lord Jesus against our mental enemies. See how the word which I have spoken from experience agrees with the testimony of the scriptures. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And the apostle says, 
pray without ceasing. And our Lord says, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. Prayer is a great good, and a good which contains all blessings, for it purifies the heart in which those who have faith see good. So again, he tells us that it is experience that teaches us this, and it is the scriptures that confirm it for us, that we are to pray without ceasing, that we are to constantly abide in God, be united to him as the branches to the vine. And it is in this, then, that we come to know the freedom that Hezekiah has described for us in this section. That brings us to the end of this episode. Next week, we'll pick up with Hezekiah's description of the hard-won virtue of humility. I thank you once again for joining us, and I'll see you soon.